Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good to see everyone on this cold winter, well, almost winter morning. We are starting a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, this morning we're kicking it off. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And there are three things I want to talk about Him. But um, before we do that, I asked myself the question, which is the book in the Bible that contains the most references to the Holy Spirit. And then, lo and behold, I thought it was Acts. I found out it was Romans. The book of Romans far exceeds the book of Acts or any other book when it comes to the number of times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And then I dealt, uh, dwelt, dived deeper, and I found that Romans chapter 8 is the chapter that contains the most number of references compared to any other chapter in the entire Bible. So this morning, I want to speak about the Holy Spirit from the book of Romans and from chapter 8 of the book of Romans. There are three things I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, as I've promised earlier. Firstly, the person of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the person of the Holy Spirit in me. Number three, I getting into the person of the Holy Spirit. So again, three things. Number one, the person of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the person of the Holy Spirit in me or to me. And number three, I getting into the person or the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Romans Chapter 8, verse 1. The person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of the sin, from the law of sin and death. Two things here. Firstly, no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. For, that word is important, a small word, but utterly important. It simply means because of the life-giving Spirit of God, there is no condemnation. The Holy Spirit is involved in our being set free from condemnation. Who is this Spirit? Well, Verse 2, immediately Romans 8 verse 2 tells us, He is the Spirit of life. He is the life-giving Spirit. The Spirit of God says, He is guilty. Not guilty anymore now. Set him free. That's what he says. She's no longer guilty. Set her free. No condemnation. The person of the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. 
the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters of the deep. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1. And now we find in the New Testament, the Spirit of God is involved in the rebirth of every Christian into the born-again experience. The Bible uses many metaphors to describe the Spirit. Oil, water, fire, wind. But the Holy Spirit is not material. He is not an impersonal force like some groups would tell us. So I've got some verses to share with us. So if, if some groups come and say, the Holy Spirit is not a person, you've got the material to, to counter them. He is not an impersonal force. He's a person. He's standing right beside me now. He's in me. He's sitting next to you. He's in you. That's who he is. He is a person with emotions. He's intelligent. He's, he has a will. He searches the deep things of God. He teaches. He calls. He commissions. He can be rebelled against. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. These, these are attributes of a person. Now we know we, we use the emblem of wind for the Spirit of God. Imagine a cyclone tears through your suburb and everything's destroyed and you rage at that cyclone with your clenched fists and you say, you idiot wind, you storm. Do you think that storm and that wind and that cyclone would get, would get grieved? Absolutely not, because it's not a person. It's a it. But the spirit can be grieved. That means he's a person. He's not only a person, he's divine. He possesses the attributes of divinity. David says, where shall I go from your Spirit, if I should go up to the heavens, he's there. If I should go down to the grave, he's there. He's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere. That is an attribute of divinity. The devil isn't present at any one time in every place because he's not divine. He's not divine. The Pharisees were having a debate with Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 12, if you're interested, somewhere there, Matthew 12, actually it's 31 and 32, okay? Matthew 12, Jesus debating with the Pharisees, and Jesus said this, If you blaspheme against anything or anyone, you can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you can never be forgiven. If you speak a word against the Son of Man, who is a divine, you, you speak a word against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven. But if you speak a word against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. Firstly, blasphemy can only be done against a divine being. Therefore, the Spirit of God is divine. And Jesus says this. He says, if, he, if you blaspheme against me, divine Son of God, you're forgiven. You, you blaspheme against the Spirit of God, 
you won't be forgiven. He's making a distinction between him, son of God, and the spirit of God. In other words, you've got three in one. So that is important. Now, so that is the basic doctrine of the person of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot, lot more, which obviously in the, in the next week and the following, um, those who come before us would, would, would teach us about the person of the Holy Spirit in greater detail. But it's not just about understanding and knowing these doctrinal truths in a, in a cold sort of a academic way. It's experiencing him in a, in a man. It's having him working and moving in us. And hence, my second point. First, we've dealt with the Holy Spirit. Now we deal with the person of the Holy Spirit in me. In me. There are three things that the Spirit of God does. Firstly, conviction. Now, we, we read earlier, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the life-giving Spirit has set me free. It's because of Him. Now, that is a major upheaval, what the Spirit of God does. How does He change us from death to life? Firstly, through conviction. John, and we need to borrow from John, this word, John 16, 8. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I have personally experienced that. So don't look at the Spirit of God in a cold, academic way, but have Him experienced as a personal reality inside. At the age of 15, a classmate came to me and shared Jesus Christ with me. I was 15. I was happy-go-lucky. And uh, he kept coming to me day after day. I got so fed up, I pretended to receive Jesus. I, I put on the greatest act of acting. Oh, I'm, I'm so convicted. And, and I said, how do I get this Savior? And he, he got sucked in. I mean, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. He just believed my acting. Oh, repeat this prayer after me. Do this. So I repeated with the greatest pretense and accepted Jesus. I thought by doing that, I'll get him off my back. He'll, he'll forever leave me alone in class. But no, as soon as I received Jesus, he shook my hand and said, Brother, welcome to the kingdom of God. I will introduce you to the pastor who lives near your neighborhood. Uh-oh, no. Because being a Christian was furthest from my mind. And, but that, that day came, it was a Saturday, he introduced me to the pastor. And the first thing, strangely, the first thing the pastor said, you must come to church tomorrow. There are two girls you need to meet. <laughs> they are sisters. The two girls you need to meet. I thought, wow, this is good. Getting saved is not that bad. So I went to church the next morning. I went to church the next morning, and uh, I met the younger of the sisters. And so, and then I continued, I, I continued going to church. I continued going to church, but nothing happened. Because I tell you what, there was a hymn that really was, they, they sang it so 
so often my hope is built on nothing less but than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. There are four verses to this long hymn. I loved it. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Within the veil. I didn't know. This is about Hebrews. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, full of doctrine, faultless to stand before the throne. Now, for weeks, this was a favorite song in that small church, for weeks, Sunday after Sunday, they sang it, and they sang it, and I mouthed along. I said, it's not a screen, it was a hymn book. I, I sang along, and in my heart, I remember recalling one Sunday, what a bunch of arrogant, bigoted people. Not my words, I was only 15, I didn't know too much English. <laughs> but but I, that's how I felt. These guys are arrogant. What about other religions? What about Buddha? What about Muhammad? You know, so, but I kept along because going to church is good. There's a girl. So I kept going. I kept going Sunday after Sunday. I have received Christ. No change because it was pretense. And then one Sunday, they sang the same hymn. I was singing. Wow, it was as if I was outside my body. I saw this little boy singing that hymn with gusto. And I, I really did. I believed every word. I was convinced. I was convicted. That's what it means to be convicted. In the law courts, when the judge says, guilty, that means grab a hold of him or her. Grab a hold of him before the sentencing. I had the Holy Spirit of God grab the hold of me. I was so convinced Yes, there is no other ground. All other ground is sinking sand. This is the rock of Jesus. I was converted by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So have the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's the first thing he did. The second thing he does, change. He brings change. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Change is needed. Change is needed. The reason being, there is an enemy force that has come in and who has come in to reside in the heart of wicked, evil, sinful men. That's why at the fall in, in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, Adam kind of invited the devil in. We will, I will, with my wife, rebel against Almighty God. 
And because of that, Satan came in. And Satan says, you need to fulfill all the righteousness of God in order to be on, in the right relationship with God again. And man, Adam, Eve, you, me, I, we can never do it. We can never fulfill the righteousness of God. But here is what Jesus silenced the devil. Jesus says, what they can't do, I have done it for them when I died on the cross. I have fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements, not just in me, but in them as well, because they are united with me in my death, and because I died for their sin. So Jesus silenced sin. Jesus says, you keep silence, because I have fulfilled all righteousness in them. And because of that, I have pardoned them, and I have placed the Spirit of God in their hearts. Now, in our hearts, we have the living working, active Spirit of God, if you are a believer. If you have truly, not under pretense, but truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God was involved in all these things, in pardoning us, in residing in our hearts, in fulfilling all of God's righteousness in us. The Holy Spirit was involved in all of these operations, He alone makes all the difference. The Spirit of God brings change. It is Him and He alone. Sin always brings four things, always. Fear, guilt, this is what Adam and Eve experienced. Then, hostility, violence, this is what Cain experienced, or or what Cain did to his brother. And then, finally, sin always brings emptiness. Solomon, the wisest man, says, all is vanity, empty, meaningless, meaningless. Sin always brings these four things. Guilt, fear, hostility, emptiness. But the Spirit of God, when He comes in, He does the complete opposite. He brings no condemnation, acceptance, belonging, life, peace. The change that he brings in a person's life. Here's the third thing that the Spirit of God does. Comfort. Comfort. Have you ever struggled with doubt? Oh, I don't know if God would really pull me through with this. Oh, I don't know. I've prayed, but do you? Th I have. I'm sure most, if not every one of us here, has. Some point or other, we've experienced that faith destabilizing doubt. Where does that come from? Sin that still resides in little bits and pieces in us. But Romans 8.15 tells us this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
That word sons is important. You know, modern day, today, some translations say children, just to remain, you know, politically correct. But sons is the right word because when Paul wrote this letter in that era, sons are the only ones who receive an inheritance. So if we are sons, including daughter sons, all right, you have an inheritance in the Spirit of God. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. All of us would have seen a toddler, little two-year-old, bawling his eyes, her eyes out, bawling, inconsolable. Something's happened supermarket or on the street, wherever. A little toddler just crying and crying. And you try everything to, to calm that little kid down. You, you jangle some keys to distract and to no avail. They would keep crying and crying. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the parent makes an appearance. And immediately, that bawling slows down into a little whimper. And given five more seconds, it's all quiet. The little kid, if you ask a little kid, who's your father's name? Who's your what's your mother's name? Uh, what does your father do? What's his address? No clue whatsoever. But as soon as father or mother makes an appearance, he knows that's my daddy. I, something inside, something inside of that little baby, what's, I belong. That, that's my daddy. A man came to see his pastor and said, Pastor, I've got a problem. I have doubts. I don't know if God will pull me through. In fact, I don't know if God really exists. The pastor, in his wisdom, asks him, Well, what are you going to do about it? Oh, I already have. I've, I've done it already. I've been to the Lord and told him everything. You've been to the Lord? You said you doubted him. Something inside somehow knows, like that little baby, he's my daddy. He's my father. There is something inside. We cannot put it down. We, we, we cannot explain it. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God bears witness with us. I belong. I'll pull you through. You, you are in safe hands. We have comfort. We have all the comfort. This morning we heard about burdens and ache. There's an aching inside. We, we just can't put a finger to it. But we know. Somehow Daddy knows about it. Father God knows. And He'll carry me through. So the Spirit of God does three things. Conviction. Change. Comfort to us. He brings these three things to us. Now we come to the third thing. We've talked about the person of the Spirit. We've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit in me, what He does. Now we need to talk about I getting into the person of the Holy Spirit. You ask, is this double talk? No, it's not. Because it is possible to have the Holy Spirit in us and then not habitually desiring to get 
into the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, followed by verses 12 and 13. Romans 8, starting from verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So then, brothers, this is Paul speaking to Christians. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. Paul is saying it is possible you have the Spirit of God in you. It is possible that you don't go to the Spirit. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the, to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we get into the Holy Spirit? How do we get into Him? By setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Every Christian has two natures. Every Christian. Some people object to this language. I don't have a sinful nature. I only have a new spirit nature. So we may be politically correct this morning and say every Christian has two dispositions or two inclinations, if you like. But it doesn't really matter too much. So for the sake of the sermon, I'll say sinful nature. We inherited one nature from Adam. We all know that. It's the sinful nature. That nature is energized by the devil. It causes all sorts of trouble in our lives. We, we get all sorts of grief, trouble, problems, because we hear the urgings of the devil through that sinful nature. But then again, we also received a new nature when we were born again, when we say, when our eyes are convicted and open, yes, Lord, you, you, you are the only solid rock. I give my life to you. At that moment, God implants a spirit nature, the nature of the Holy Spirit inside us. There is a difference between these two natures. The old Adamic nature, the old sin nature, would say this. It'll say this, the old sin nature. Self is the center of the universe. Self is the most important person. Self is to be pleased. Self is to be praised. Whereas, the new nature implanted in us would say, God is the most is the center of the universe, the most important person in the world. He is to be pleased. He is to be praised. That's the difference. That's the difference between these two natures in us. Now you say, I thought I'm new, there's nothing old. Well, yes, the control room of your heart is now occupied by the Spirit of God. Yes, he's the captain, yes. But 
in a way, the, the old nature having been elbowed out, stays still in the outer extremities of our consciousness, if you like. He, he is conducting guerrilla warfare on us every now and then. It's a reality. It's a reality. So, how do I set my mind on the spirit? Well, let me give you some examples. Ever, have you ever done something wrong to somebody and been found out and told to apologize? And then, doing this, saying sorry with a curled lip and simmering resentment inside. Have you ever done that? Mm, sorry. Or have you ever been wronged by somebody else? Either intentionally or unintentionally, somebody wronged you and then you immediately react with a harsh and a sharp word. Ever happened to you before? It's, it's happened to me many times. E ever been in church and, and, and you, you hear some, some, some sad story of somebody's spiritual failure, a leader failing finance or immorality or something else, and then you go home and you say, my spiritual gift is gossiping. I, I can't wait to tell my wife. Ever happened to you before? That is not setting your mind on the spirit. That is saying, I am better than them. I am the center of the universe. That is, this, that is, that is setting your mind on the flesh. Oh, someone will say, but I'm only human. You, you know, when you do that, when you do that, you are actually going to the altar that you have built, the altar of self. And you bow down before it. Whenever you, 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 know, you say sorry with a cold lip, you are bowing down to self. And you are calling self, Lord, Lord. In eternity, no one is going to do that to you. In fact, no one will be doing that to anyone except the center of the universe, God himself. There's only one Lord, one master. So why not start today? Why not start having the habit of Lord, you, you are the center of the universe. You are the most important. You are the one to be pleased. You are the one to be praised. Rather than self, self, self. That's how to set our minds on the Spirit of God. Someone will say, oh, wouldn't this make me having to read the Bible all day long and pray all day long and do nothing? No. Setting your mind on the spirit doesn't mean you don't go to work. You still go to work. You, oh, by the way, you can run a business and you can make a lot of money. You can make a lot of money. It doesn't mean making a lot of money. It doesn't mean that you're not setting your minds on the spirit of God. Setting your mind on the spirit of God simply means this. When you make the money, 
He is the greatest. How can I use my money? When I make my money, he is to be praised for giving me the skill to make money. You know what I'm saying? You can be poor and yet be setting your mind on the flesh. Poor me. How come God blessed them and not me? You see the difference? So, getting into the Holy Spirit means setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. There's another way that you can get into the Spirit, and that's through prayer. I know we talked about prayer, and it's through prayer. In Acts chapter 4, the early apostles, they were preaching the word, and they were severely threatened. They were threatened with severe repercussions, and they went together into a a room, prayer room, and they said, Lord, give us boldness. And they were, we're going, to, we're going to set our eyes on the Spirit. They prayed, they prayed. And after they prayed, the place was shaken. So a lot of people want demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, but they're not walking in the Spirit. And they're not praying. How can you have that? There are some benefits, very quickly, of getting into the Spirit. Let me name some of these quickly. Getting into the Spirit, setting your mind on the Spirit. These are the great benefits. Fear, guilt, hostility, emptiness will begin to lose their hold on you. You will see increasing levels of usefulness and fruitfulness. Then you find the Spirit brings power. You know, Somewhere in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors. The Spirit brings power. There is power for living. And then demonstrations of power as the early apostles experienced. The Spirit helps us in our troubles. Look at eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, Romans. Romans eight twenty-six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes the best prayers are, are prayers that, that are expressed in mm, oh, reflecting the ache reflecting the groaning inside. These are some of the best prayers. No need to have fancy words. No need to have well-constructed sentences. No need for pure grammar, but simply, uh, these are Spirit-inspired prayers. Keep praying. The Spirit helps us. So, so far, we have talked about three things. Number one, the person of the Holy Spirit. We said he's a person and he's divine. Number two, we talked about the Spirit of God in me. Number three, we talked about me or I or you getting into the Spirit, which means setting our minds on him. Sometimes we think, oh, because I've done all these things, I expect revival. I expect God to work powerfully in me with signs and wonders. Not necessarily so. Yes, it may. In fact, it will increase the likelihood of God doing so. But there's no absolute rule. 
that because you ticked all these boxes, I've been a good boy, God comes through. He's sovereign. And I think that's the other thing about the Holy Spirit we need to understand. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He, the Bible tells us, He apportions gifts according to your desires, according to your zeal, according to how much you, you, you long after and pray. No, He apportions the gifts as He wills. He is sovereign. Do not put the Spirit of God in a box near the northeastern, I'll tell you a story from the Bible now, near the northeastern, I think I've told this before, but I'm going to do it again, near the northeastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea lies Tarsus, which is in southern Turkey today. Tarsus was a major trade educational and spiritual center. It was a Greek-speaking town, city. When Jesus Christ, our Lord, was a toddler, was a baby in the arms of his mother Mary, a little boy was born in the city of Tarsus. The parents of that boy named him Paul, his Hebrew name, and Saul, to reflect the Greek-speaking city that he was born into. As a little boy, he was bright. He, he, he did very well in school. And in his teens, his parents decided to send him from Turkey, Tarsus, to Jerusalem south to, to study, to become a rabbi. And so... In his early teens, he sat under the, f- the feet of Gamaliel, the chief, the most uh, renowned theologian in Judaism of his day. Through Gamaliel, he learned all the rigorous rules and laws of Judaism. And he applied himself religiously. Paul, he, re- he applied himself religiously to it. He was, the, he was most exact. He, he was most precise. He was most unbending and rigid with keeping every element of the law. News about his progress reached the, the leaders, the religious leaders of Judaism in Jerusalem. Around that time too, as he grew older, there, there were news about a certain sect. They, they were claiming the, uh, the Messiah has come. And, and this, this so-called rabbi has been collecting a huge following. He, people claim he had been healing the sick, even raising the dead. And, and, and in, they crucified him. But, but his disciples claim that he rose from the dead. The authorities in Jerusalem said, we must get Paul. This is a young man with immense promise. He is the one who would stamp out this, this, this sacrilegious sect. We cannot have this in our midst. So Saul was enlisted. And he, he, the, Luke tells us in his book of Acts, he ravaged the church. He destroyed 
homes. He, in fact, went into every home and dragged men and women out and, and put them in prison with the express intention that they rot in jail. That was Saul or Paul. One day, he traveled, he rode on his horse to Damascus, and you know the story. En route to Damascus, God arrested him. He fell off his horse. Why are you persecuting me? Lord, Lord, is it you, Lord? He got converted. Now, if you were one of the 11 apostles, if you were amongst the 200 in the upper room or amongst the 3,000 who got converted okay, in those early days, if you were a Christian, if, if people were to ask you, would that madman become a Christian? You would say, that would be the furthest from my mind. W would he become the best theologian in the Christian church who wrote the bulk of the New Testament, who, who became the, the best missionary? You, you would say, I, would have, I wouldn't entertain that at all. He wouldn't be a Christian, let alone a theologian, but that's what Paul became. That's, how did he do that? How, how did he become that? God is sovereign. The Spirit of God is sovereign. He apportions His gifts to whomever He wills. Whomever He wills. I can tell you the eleven were shocked when they heard about Saul through, the, through Barnabas. That he's genuinely converted. They were shocked. He didn't wait like us did for ten days. God is sovereign. So, this should actually cause us to worship God even more. Because He indeed is dependable, sovereign, and, and almighty, all-powerful, so that regardless of what we are carrying, what burden, what ache, He is bigger. So He, remember we, we said the difference between the old nature? The old nature says self is to be pleased more than anyone else. Self is the center of the universe. Self is most important. We need to remember the Spirit of God is so sovereign. He is the center of the universe. How many say yes and amen? Yes and amen. Can I ask every one of us to stand up, please? Thank you. I know I've labored, but uh, I want to pray for us this morning. You... Because I believe the Spirit of God is saying, there's a lot more that I want to do in you. That's, you means me, okay? I, that I'm preaching to myself. Spirit of God wants to do a lot more in me. And the Spirit of God wants to do a lot more through me. Through me. Because our days are not finished yet. As long as we are living, our days are not through yet. He wants to do something powerful in me. He wants to do something powerful through me. I want to pray for you. If that's you, you want prayer. Why don't this morning we come to the front? We come to the front, make this a Pentecostal meeting. <laughs> we are Pentecostals. This is the Spirit of God. So for those online, thank you for joining us today. I hope you've been blessed today through the worship and, and all the proceedings that we had. And 
We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.